0: The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham here. on Sports Hub Triad.
1: Appreciate you hanging out on this inauguration day. We'll get to Duke's loss to Pitt in just a few minutes. But today's a day, one of the best players to ever play college football in this state decided to hang it up. Of course, talking about Phillip Rivers, who i go as far to say is the greatest quarterback to never play in a Super Bowl. I've heard from a lot of you on social media today, throwing out there Warren Moon, throwing out there Dan Fouts, and both those players are terrific when they played way back when. I'd even throw Randall Cunningham into that mix, maybe a Carson Palmer when you look at the stats. I think Rivers is a first ballot Hall of Famer when that time comes, and I would put him above fouls. I put him above, and I'm talking about players to never play in a Super Bowl, not appear in a Super Bowl, because, of course, you have Dan Marino who played in a Super Bowl and didn't win, and there's some others who qualify in that sense as well. But to never get to the big game, Phillip Rivers, I think, is the best that we never saw on the biggest stage. The numbers certainly back this up. 5th in NFL history in passing yards. 5th in NFL history in touchdown passes. That's more than both the quarterbacks who are going to get into the hall drafted in 2004 alongside Rivers, Eli Manning and Big Ben Roethlisberger. Also more than John Elway and uh, Dan Marino. But I like this stat a lot too. He's just the second quarterback in NFL history to throw for over 4,000 yards In his final NFL season. I put this on Twitter, Robert. I don't know if you saw it. Do you know who the other quarterback is?
2: Uh, Is he recent? It is recent. I would guess Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is the correct answer.
1: Nice. Ten-year age gap. Both with the Indianapolis Colts, though. Phillip Rivers, I put him above some of those others Because he provided stability to one of the NFL's least stable organizations. I can't emphasize this enough. The Spanos family, their reputation in the NFL is that they're dirt cheap and been that way for over 30 years. Close to 40 years. Dating back when Fouts actually played. Do you think it's a coincidence that Fouts and Rivers are on the same list talking about quarterbacks who are terrific and never played in the Super Bowl? I don't think so. But what I love about Rivers is just how competitive he was. It was his spirit. It wasn't an act. It wasn't a guy talking game and not backing it up. He backed it up with toughness. It wasn't to the Brett Favre level of consecutive games, Iron string. Uh, Iron Man style, like Cal Ripken playing in all those consecutive games. But close to it, 15 years, he did not miss a start. When Drew Brees left to join the Saints after the 2005 season, that's when Phillip took over in San Diego. Every every single season since then, 16 starts in every season. It's, It's amazing, not counting the postseason. He didn't miss a start, including in the 2007 AFC Championship game where he played without an ACL, tore his ACL, still played at an AFC Championship game. So when you're talking about greatness, it's not just the stats. The stats are there for Phillip, but 15 consecutive years without missing a start, including playing in a championship game with a torn ACL... Those are the things that are going to be remembered. We rarely ever remember the stats. We remember moments. We remember stories. Phillip Rivers provided stability at the most important position in sports to one of the least stable organizations in the league. Do you know who he is? This is probably a good analogy. He's the Chris Paul of the NFL. That's how Philip Rivers is going to be remembered. Not just because they have North Carolina ties, but the competitiveness. CP3, he straddled that line. Where is the line between talking trash and offending people? Talking trash, being competitive, and not being seen as a good sport. We've seen guys across the league after the news came out the day talking about how smart Phillip Rivers was, how much of a student of the game Phillip Rivers was. But in the end, it's going to be talked about how great can you be if you've never played in the championship stage. Does that sound familiar? That's what we're going to be talking about with CP3. CP3 never getting to an NBA Finals. So I do think there are a lot of parallels between those two. But you also got to consider Era. This is another reason why I like the CP3 comparison. CP3 didn't get to the finals because he just so happened to play in a period of time where Golden State was in the Western Conference. Oh, and also Tim Duncan and the dynastic San Antonio Spurs. That's bad timing. When San Antonio wasn't winning it, Golden State was winning it, except for that off year where we saw the Dallas Mavericks holding up the trophy in 2011. Here's another Phillip Rivers stat for you. Phillip is the only quarterback to lose three times in the playoffs to Tom Brady. Tom Brady, greatest playoff quarterback we've ever seen. Nobody was hurt worse by Tom than Phillip Rivers. And you're in the league in the same conference as Tom and Peyton Manning. So when Tom's not winning the Super Bowl... Odds are those remaining appearances are being nabbed up by Peyton, and they were. So it strictly was bad timing for CP3 and also for Phillip Rivers. Phillip is the greatest quarterback to never play in a Super Bowl. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Your thoughts are welcome on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. 336 is the phone number. You're going to want to be here at the bottom of the hour. BDOT's going to be hanging out in studio with us ahead of North Carolina's matchup with Wake tonight, 7 o'clock at the Smith Center. But former Tar Heel Rayshon Terry is going to join us. R.J. Reynolds' great. 18 years ago today, the highest attended high school basketball game in North Carolina history happened. Over 16,000 watched at the Greensboro Coliseum as LeBron James led St. Vincent High School from Akron into... The Coliseum where they blew out, at that time, the three-time defending 4A state champion R.J. Reynolds team with Rayshon Terry on the team. Rayshon going to talk Tar Heels, going to talk about that day in 2003 when he joins us at the bottom of the hour. But since we're talking about college basketball now, a lot of people asking whether or not Duke should be pressing the panic button right now. They lose to Pittsburgh. We tried to warn you yesterday, we could see Pittsburgh winning this game. Pittsburgh's a good team. They're legitimate. Justin Champenny's back. He's an ACC Player of the Year candidate. He was one shy of his career high last night with 30 points. He looked tremendous. So it was brought up to K with this young team. Panic button? This is Coach.
3: And they're 18, 19, and 20. There should be no panic buttons on young people who have a chance to play at this level of college basketball. You know, if there was a panic button, it would be for 73-year-old people who have coached for 46 years. Uh, And I don't have one.
1: Neither do I. It is way too soon to make judgments on this Duke team. I feel like Duke is where North Carolina was at just a few weeks ago. Remember when things weren't looking so good for the Tar Heels, and I reminded you, hey, it's the 8th, ninth, 10th games that this team has played. It's a really young group. Give it a little bit more time. Give it two or three more weeks. It looks like North Carolina is trending upwards now. Duke, last night was their ninth game of the year. To put that in perspective, after today, no ACC team would have played less games than Duke. Duke, It was only their fifth game at full strength. Fifth game at full strength. First time in over a month, Jalen Johnson was in the lineup. And Jalen looked terrific. So that should be a good sign for Duke. Matthew Hurt didn't have one of his better games, but he came on a little bit in the second half. It's not like Duke is losing to scrubs. You look at the losses Duke has. You tell me where the bad loss is. Beaten by Illinois, beaten by Michigan State, beaten by Virginia Tech last week, beaten by Pitt. Those four teams have a combined record so far this year of 37 and 13. They're all really good. The latter two, Virginia Tech and Pitt, each only have two losses apiece, have only lost one conference game, both of them. I think Pitt's only loss in ACC play was to Louisville without Champeny. The difference last night was Pittsburgh had a good sense of what their identity is. They knew what they were about. They knew where the ball needed to go to at the end. Every possession, it felt like the last five minutes, it was either in the hands of Champeny, Xavier Johnson, or Aldi's Tony. Tony and Johnson, upperclassmen, they're juniors, Not many juniors running around on Duke's roster. And Champagny is a sophomore. Terrific year last year. They know exactly who they are. Duke doesn't yet. So I wouldn't press the panic button. Some saying, oh, they're a fringe NCAA tournament team. Stop. Coach K hasn't missed the NCAA tournament since the field expanded to 64 in 1985. He wasn't on the bench for that 95 season. So don't press the panic button yet. This is a young team with a lot of talent. And we saw the talent on display last night. Last night was more about Pitt than Duke. So even though, anytime Duke loses, that's going to be the headline. Because they're Duke. I'm going to resist on that today. Because I do think Pittsburgh was the story. They deserve a lot of attention. They should be ranked in the top 25 next week. As I mentioned, Rayshon Terry in a little over 15 minutes. Coming up, news this week that I think adds a wild card player, a wild card prospect for the Carolina Panthers to consider taking it number eight. That's next on The Drive.
0: We're now the opposite of the front of sports talk because we're, well, we're, we're back to it. Get it? Well, that's not funny. Back to The Drive. That's moronic. With Josh Graham.
1: This is about to be fun. In 15 yes. minutes, we're going to talk about Wake Forest going head-to-head with North Carolina tonight. Somebody that knows Winston-Salem and Chapel Hill really well now joins us, Sean Terry from Reynolds High, at the same time a former Tar Heel. B. Dotson, studio with us as well. And what we want to talk about specifically is 18 years ago today, the biggest crowd in North Carolina high school basketball history assembled to watch at that point, the three-time defending 4A state champs R.J. Reynolds face St. Vincent LeBron James at the Greensboro Coliseum, 16,000-plus. BDOT, what were you doing? You were at the
4: game, right? No, I wasn't at the damn game, Josh. I was sitting in Plaza South Apartments in a smoked-out hood apartment. That's what I was doing. <laughs> I missed it. I'm so angry with myself to this day that I missed it, man.
1: All right, Ray Sean. I gotta know. Appreciate you being with us back on uh, in the triad. Give me a sense for your your headspace going in. How familiar were you with LeBron James and how big he already was going into that?
3: I mean, of course, everyone at that point in time knew who LeBron was. You know, you know, because obviously that was my he was my graduating class. So, you know, everybody, especially Hoopers, we all know like who's top tier and. You know, who you know, who we trying to, you know, go up against and all of that stuff. So, uh, you know, the opportunity presented itself, you know, um for us to play them because, you know, we were coming off three state championships and uh, you know, we were actually ranked in the country that year as opposed to just being ranked, you know, statewide. So, you know, it was a lot of hoopla and a lot of hype going on and, you know, leading up into the game. You know, I even went and got me a little tattoo before the game. You know, because you know <laughs> LeBron, them I mean, they had all the tattoos and stuff like that. So, yeah. I'm, like, I'm gonna get tatted for the game and you know, all of this. So oh, it yeah. was just, it was hype, man. It was dope. You know, um, you know, like the news. You know, they came up to the school interviewing us, and you know, it just made a big story behind it. So just leading up into the game, man, it was it was just crazy, man. It was crazy.
1: Is that tattoo a lot cooler
3: before the game than it is after the result? I mean the tattoo really didn't have anything like to do with like <laughs> LeBron per se. You know, I was just like, you know, I want to go get the too. He I hear that. I hear, was, that. Like I I hear said, that.
2: That's really cool. He, he, was just, uh, he was just
3: uh like he was a he was a trendsetter, man, especially for like I said, our graduating class and even, you know, the guys that were coming up behind us, man. So like he I, I, I have to give him the props. Like he influenced me getting the tattoo. So uh like, yeah, but the, the the result obviously didn't feel too good. But, you know, um, you know, the tattoo, obviously, like I say, it wasn't just about him.
4: Let me ask you this, man, because I know Josh is super captivated by that game and it was a huge game. But I am so interested in the story that got you to rentals. Like mm-hmm. you were at Glenn three years and then your senior year you leave from uh-huh. Glenn. Now, now, this is a story I heard. Please tell me if it's true or false. You play right. you play for Glenn against mm-hmm. Reynolds on Tuesday, and then play for Reynolds against Glenn on Friday.
3: No, no absolutely wrong. Okay, okay,
4: okay, absolutely. okay. I was about to say if you was that dog with it right there. Good God Almighty! <laughs> that
0: would have been
3: crazy. <laughs> what nah, is the story but, there though? Yeah, the story was you know like I played for Glenn like three and a half years actually, well two and a half years I want to say yeah two and a half years. I was at Glenn from freshman year to like the mid like midway through the junior year. Mm-hmm. And um uh it's crazy man that whole that whole situation was crazy because um like I say I was at Glen for two and a half years, you know, and um you know junior year even I okay, I'll even go back, rewind. I was distraught of my junior year, we had like right before my junior year we had moved into East of district. So we moved over there in their district And people, a lot of people don't know to even know this. I moved when we moved over there, I started out at East Forsyth that the beginning of my junior year. Mm. Right. Because we had, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was in the talks about me going to Reynolds, you know, the start of my, my, um, my senior year. But in order for us to do that, we had to, of course, you know, move in the right district and all of that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we thought that where we were moving to was Reynolds district. So, uh when when the school system found out about it, they was like, No, this is the district that you're in even though like the, the where we where, where we stayed at the time was closer to Reynolds than it was to East. But when the school district got a hold to it, they like no, we already know what this is about, so no, you go in the east. Mm. Either you go to East or you can go back to Glenn, but you're not going to Reynolds. Mm. Really so, quick
1: really quick but, answer here, Ray Terry. Sorry to uh-huh. interrupt you there. Uh from right. North Carolina, also RJ Reynolds, also from Glenn. He's a North Carolina guy, true and true. Rayshon Terry with us here on Sports Up am A bucket. Give me a sense, because of the team that you had, like I mentioned, three-time defending state champs going into that game, how right. confident were you that this big-name LeBron James was going to come into Greensboro and get that L?
3: You said how, how confident was
1: us? Yeah, how confident were you going into that game?
3: Honestly, I like he was number one, but at the end, like honestly, I like and it's not to toot my own horn. Like I, I knew he was gonna take a L like that day because mm-hmm. you know we were like I said at that time, like we were the best, we were the best in yeah. in, North, in North Carolina, you know, and and even you know we was on a, a national scale, so that said a lot about you know Reynolds High School, you know, what I'm saying so, uh, you know, I definitely was I was. I, and, I, you know, everybody that knows me, I'm not a trash-talking type of person. Like, I don't really get into the hoopla. But, you know, that day, like, he brought it out of me that day. And I definitely was – I was I was coming to give it to him. Yeah. For sure.
4: <laughs> Buckets. I know you was, man. That's why I'm so mad I missed it because I know the tray was in the heavy. They was calling up this morning. Do you remember LeBron pulling up to the game in a homer, Ray?
3: At that point in time, I don't think he had it. Like, he didn't – I don't think he got the Hummer until, like, after he made – like, after he announced that he was going to the NBA. Okay. But, um, like, yeah, at that time, he didn't pull up in the Hummer. Well, at least that's what I, I don't believe because, you know, like, even going after that, like, after the season was over with, like, going to the Pittsburgh Hoops Classic, I played – he was supposed to play in that, in that, that All-Star game, but he, he ended up not, not playing in that game. Um, and he did pull up in the Hummer at that game when we mm-hmm. was in the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Classic. Though <laughs> I always
1: heard that younger LeBron talked more trash in the high school level than he did when he went to the pros. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Do you remember anything like that?
3: I mean, I know during the game, man, it was going back at it, like mm-hmm. going back and forth. Like, what do you remember? Was-
4: yeah, give yeah, us yeah. an exchange, right? What 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 happened one time? You hit him for a bucket, when- bow, and you talk some trash, oh, hey, and he hey, came back.
3: I want to clear the air, too, about the whole Justin Henderson thing before I say that. Like, he definitely started that game. Oh, yeah.
4: Now that, for those that don't know, we were on the air this morning, and Jay Henney is the reason that we started this whole conversation. He was on Twitter. Yeah, point guard for the team. Point guard. He said he started against the, in that game, and they was trying to call up saying that uh, he didn't start or something, so Ray Terry is no. vouching right here. Jay Henney definitely started.
3: Yeah, he definitely started that game.
4: Respect. Yeah. Tell me but, about the uh, trash talk yeah. though.
3: So, but yeah, you know, like I said, leading up into the game, man, like we were like, you know, he had, he had, everybody obviously came to see him perform, but you know, the people that's from Winston-Salem and even around North Carolina, they came to see us play, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like I said, I wanted to put on a show, you know, give the fans what they came to see. And, mm. you know, that day he had my juices flowing, you know, it was the number one player in the country. You know, I was ranked at that time high in the, in the, in the, in the country too, so you know I was like two top players you know in the country going at each other, so we give them what they want to see you know um, but you know I remember um one one instant like one, one um one possession like he was you know I think they had went on like a stretch where they just like they trapped us full court, right mm-hmm. you know they would just, we couldn't even get the ball past half court like mm-hmm. for like ten straight points, so I was basically. You know, I was basically the point guard. I told Jay Hen because at that time, like Jay, Jay Hen was like maybe like five seven, like freshman five seven, five nine point guard. So yeah, when they trapped us, we couldn't even we couldn't even see him. Like <laughs> so I'm like, yo, you just go, you go down the court and let me bring the ball up. So I did that maybe like two or three straight possessions, man, and I was dog tired. Like, <laughs> but you know we you know I you know I did my thing though. You know, so I'm I, I probably scored like four straight buckets on the road. Like yeah, so I'm going at LeBron. I'm like, yo. Like, I'm telling you, like, you you went for a long night today, bro. Yeah, He's yeah. like, yeah. You he was like, you nice. He was like, you nice, but you ain't going to beat this by yourself. I said, maybe not, but I'm going to give you that work today.
1: Yeah. LeBron James had yeah. 32 in the game. We're talking to Rayshon Terry. So, Got time right now. Since we're talking about triad hoops, I want to close on this. Sean Terry with us here. Uh, talking triad hoops and also North Carolina is getting set for Wake Forest later on tonight. You were the number four player in the state of North Carolina in that 2003 class. In the triad, the number one player out of North Carolina that year, of mm. course, was Chris Paul, who's still playing right now, kind of like LeBron still mm-hmm. playing right now. What was your favorite run-in with Chris on a basketball floor? Was it in high school or at college?
3: Mm. Well, a lot of people don't know we played together in AAU. Um mm. We were the national champions and um uh, you know, our, going into our senior year. Um uh before yeah, before the start of our senior year we won the you know, Orlando, Florida uh AAU national championship and uh we ended up, you know, going to um rival high school so we, we battled it out like my my uh my junior and senior year, um, against each other, but we also played together in AAU with each other. So we have a, a profound history with each other.
1: How does it make you feel that LeBron and Chris are somehow still playing?
3: I mean, you know that that just you know just goes to show like you know their longevity, man, and, and what they right. you know put into their craft, you know. So big you know big ups to them, and uh, you know um, I wish them well on.
1: Ray, thanks so much for doing this, man.
4: Hey, I got on a Reynolds jersey right now with Terry on the back for you, bro. Yes, he does. I
3: do. Hey, big ups then Be Big ups for that, big up. <laughs>
4: man, you know how I roll, man. I hey, rose you the long way.
1: Hey, man. appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, you we'd we love you here in the in the triad always, and we'll uh, we'll chat somewhere down the line. Thanks for doing this, man. All
3: right, no problem. Thank y'all.
1: There you go. That's Ray Sean Terry. That was dope. Closing note on this. LeBron, he wore J's, right? Yeah. He wore Jordans for the game. Only one. Everybody else wore Adidas. Adidas. He was asked afterwards why he did that, and he said, "That's where Michael Jordan played."
4: Man, I know, that wasn't the answer. he wore them Jays because he knew they was hot as hell, and he knew he was gonna be the on ESPN. He wasn't gonna be wearing no Adidas. That was be wearing them Jordans, and they was personalized. They was for him. They had gold two, three, and gold uh, uh, little links by the shoestrings. It was off the chains, from what I hear. There Over was some nines.
1: Over 16,000 watching Mm. at the Greensboro Coliseum Mm -hmm, 18 mm -hmm. years ago today. Appreciate Rayshawn Terry's time. I'll tell you why tonight will prove to be Steve Forbes' toughest challenge so far this season when you return on a Wednesday drive.
3: All right, I think all the levels
4: are set.
0: Showtime. Now? (laughs) Right now. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Your love is strong. Okay, it's time for grammar school.
1: And Robert's telling me we already have somebody in the queue to be a lifeline. Look at that. So that's a good sign. Are we going to institute a new rule to grammar school this week? Robert says it could be a third lifeline potentially if we do the first thing you search on a Google search. Was that what it was?
2: Mm. Yeah, so uh, whatever the – I would just type in that word or phrase – And I would tell Josh what the first Google result is.
4: I think we can try that. We can try that as a lifeline. I like that idea.
2: Let's give it a
1: shot. I had my worst week in grammar school. So you need all the help you can get. Last week, I was 0 for 5. Robert's a 50-50 option because he might be lying to me. He might be telling me the truth. I don't know, which is a terrible feeling to have. If that's the only person you have in front of you trying to help, Mm. maybe. But we got (laughs) a lifeline as well from the audience here, too. So. With all that being said, let's dive right in. It's Grammar School.
0: Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. In
5: high school, he didn't play sports, but he did wear
0: a helmet. And just when you think it can't get any worse.
1: My English teacher wanted to flunk me in junior
2: high. Thanks a lot. Next semester, I'll be 35.
0: Josh is going to attempt to learn B-Dot's vernacular. I'm from the old school. I got a street knowledge. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's time for B-Dot's Grammar School.
4: You know, Robbie, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, bro, and like three lifelines is a lot when all you need is three correct answers to advance. That's a good point. I'm thinking about maybe only having two lifelines able to be used per show. And okay. I
2: choose which one I but want? But he
4: can choose which lifeline he would like to use. For sure.
2: Oh, there or you we, go. Or we could just make it like college rules, so like getting... Three out of five isn't good enough. He would have to get four out of five. Either way, hmm. something to think about.
4: It is something to think about. Today, we're Or we will you- I can
1: only have two lifelines and we get rid of the new one, except every single time you try to help me. Nah, no, I'm not doing that. Definitely
4: Never. don't want that. Absolutely not. Yeah, we'll keep it today's. you get three lifelines just so you can optimistically bounce back from the putrid performance you displayed one week ago. It's a
1: day of optimism in America. I appreciate
4: it. Josh that. has to get three of these words or phrases correct in order to advance to, um, well, to get a satisfactory grade in today's episode of Grammar School. Up first, Josh, what are the BGs? The BGs.
1: Not to be confused with the BGs, who I love. I love the BGs
4: you talking about the musical group? The oh, yeah.
5: Hmm.
1: Staying Alive? Ah, 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 alive. The Bee Gees. Yep. Because I have the lifelines available to me, mm. I just want to see if Ben in Burlington knows this. Mm. Ben in Burlington. Big Bad Ben. Do you know what the Bee Gees is or are? Okay.
5: Uh, A BG is a baby gangsta, but correct me if I'm wrong. BG was also a rapper or a group of rappers that were on the Cash Money label in the early 2000s.
1: That's unbelievable help. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you. There you go. I'm going to go baby gangsta.
4: Yeah, he's wrong. Now, I will say a BG is a baby gangsta and BG was in um, Hot Boys. But the BGs... Oh, I love the hot boys. Yeah, yeah. It was Wayne, Turk, Juvenile, yeah. and BG. Baby Gangster. That's why his I, name I was BG. Know.
1: I didn't know who was in the group.
4: You connected the dots. But Amen. nevertheless, BGs are bubble guts. The bubble guts. When you, when you when you have a gaseous um, stomach, you eat something and it messes up your stomach. Bubble guts. BGs. Second, what does it mean if I say he's leaking? Hold
1: on a So it's bubble guts?
4: Yeah, bubble guts. Okay. Did you hear anything I said?
2: No, I just got a text message that I had to check there.
1: I
4: saw you were staring. You can't do two things on, at yeah, once.
2: Whoa, whoa, what is this about checking text messages anyway? Isn't is that, that against the rules? Oh, it had nothing to do with that, I well, promise. Well, I, mean, I already but, got the answer but, wrong. Okay, but if you're in your SATs and you're like, oh, sorry, this had nothing to do with the <laughs> test I'm taking. I'm just looking
1: Robbie's. at my phone. Okay, so bubble guts.
2: That was the first one.
4: It's only one only one. Segment, How would I Josh? use bubble guts in a, in a sentence, though? I got the BG's.
2: Trying to think of Coach K's next coaching successor gives you the BGs. Okay.
4: Good point. If I say he's leaking, L-E-A-K-I-N-G, leaking, what does that mean, Josh?
1: Oh, he is leaking. <laughs> leaking. Um, maybe somebody's belligerently drunk.
4: Hmm. Is that your final answer? It is. That is incorrect. Leaking is bleeding.
0: Oh,
1: I should have known that. Yes, I should have
4: You're very thought. distracted. Would you like to shake it off? Stand up real quick. Stand up and just shake your shoulders. Shake it off. You've been on your phone back and forth. Just shake it off. Get it together, okay? Shake it off. Because you need shake these last off. three, Josh.
1: Because the haters got to hate, 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 hate.
4: hate. <laughs> I should have okay. taken off another point just for singing a stupid song. Shake it off. Josh. What are the heebie-jeebies?
1: <laughs> Not to be
4: confused with the bee Gees. <laughs> Not to be confused with the bee Gees. Are we sure heebie-jeebies is a urban term? Heebie-jeebies. It means you're scared. Like, That's def- exactly, it's what, scared it it's exactly what it means.
1: I, I always said the heebie-jeebies.
4: All right, just making but where sure.
1: But what is the origin Lauren, of heebie-jeebies? Lauren
4: Hill's got it in her, in her song. She says, front frontin' dudes, give me heebie-jeebies. Okay. So I threw it in grammar school today Just to see if you knew it Thank you, you might hear it somewhere I didn't know
1: Alright so I'm still in it You're
4: still in it If you hear someone say And I oop What? What does that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you just heard a silence. And you can see me actually fall to the freaking floor. I apologize. <laughs> and I oop. <laughs> and I oop. O-O-P. And I oop.
1: Oh, I've heard this before. There we go. <sighs> I'm going to use the new lifeline I have. I have to get these last two right. I'm going to use the new lifeline I have. Smart. And I oop. What's the first thing that pops up on the Google search?
2: It is a YouTube video of a woman, the origin of this, saying, and I oop. Can you describe the woman? (laughs) She is an African-American woman wearing a nightgown, long, dangly diamond earrings, standing in front of a room divider that's made out of, looks like bamboo and some other textile, with blue wallpaper. Okay.
1: Older woman, younger woman. Uh middle-aged.
4: <laughs> okay. That's important information. Here. What is this algorithm you put together? And I oop. <laughs>
1: uh Whew. I'm gonna say it's it's synonymous with alley oop. Like you kind of just dunk on somebody. It's like an exclamation point. And I oop.
4: No. Oh, uh, no, and I oop is like a mistake was made or or, or something shocked you or embarrassed you. If you say, um, oh, I see your baby, and, I, and be like, yeah, but the baby ball hit it, you might respond with, ooh, and I oop. Okay, like, a, like ooh, like something was said, it was shady, or okay. and I oop, that type vibe. Does that make sense to you? Kind of. Well, you got it wrong either way.
1: All right, so it's you- going to be a failing grade, but I didn't get all five on this week. What do we got in the last one?
4: What's a sneaky link? a sneaky link. Yeah.
1: All right, Robert. 50/50. What's a <laughs> sneaky link?
2: A uh, sneaky link is where you have to meet up with a girl on the DL. Like you can't uh nobody's supposed to know that you're over her house, so it's a sneaky link.
1: Since he came up with that so quick and Robert strikes me as somebody who would if that is the term you know, utilize a sneaky link. I'm going to go with that.
4: And you're going to be correct. Thank
2: you, Robert. <laughs>
1: no, you couldn't
4: win anyway. That's why.
2: That's why I trusted it. You saved me for last. I was like, man, I'm either gonna mess him up or fail him. One of the two. <laughs> Wasn't
4: Stigulance. satisfactory, but it was better than last week when you went 0 for five, Josh. Now the the, the hard part is, this that is you impossible. put all five in a sentence in a sentence, and most importantly, okay. and I oop.
1: All right. As I'm trying to figure this out, tell people about Instagram and dot for tomorrow.
4: Instagram and Dot has been moved to Wednesdays, if you're not familiar. Thursdays. That's what I meant, Thursdays. If you aren't familiar, at 8.30, Josh and I go on social media and, or on our Instagram accounts and we go live and we basically do this. We talk about sports and we talk about um, hip hop culture and we just go back and forth for about 45 minutes and then we get to our overtime period where it's rapid fire questions to Josh that always make him seem to appear, appear um, not as smart as he really is.
1: Okay. Thinking about Philip Rivers' career, I think about when he, in 2007, played in an AFC championship game without an ACL. Gives me the BGs mm. and the Heebie-Jeebies. Mm.
4: Nice. Way to double
1: up. I mean, it's gross. He wasn't leaking or anything. Mm. But that was gross. Well played. It's one of those things, like, after your career ends and you play that long, you wonder if that's a good idea. Like, you just look at your knees, you look at your body, and you're just like, I make the right call, and I oop. Mm-hmm. Ooh. How many kids does Phillip Rivers have? Nine. Nine.
2: Any of those get conceived in a sneaky link? And I oop. That guy couldn't pull out of a driveway.
4: And I oop.
2: And I oop.
4: Yeah, there you
1: go. There you Dot, <laughs> go. thanks for being here, buddy. <laughs> on that note, I'll tell you why Philip Rivers is the Chris Paul of the NFL. Next on The Drive.
3: Now comes the moment that
0: you have all been waiting. All right, whenever you're ready. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. In a normal year,
1: Duke fans would be losing their minds. They'd be in a full panic alert if the Blue Devils were slightly above 500 on January 20th. Just think about how they'd be reacting if they were a game over 500 at this point in the year. But since last night was just the ninth game this Duke team has played this season, now five and four after the loss to Pittsburgh, I'm um, I still think it's way too soon to make a judgment on what this team is and what this team isn't. We're now being joined by former Duke assistant, longtime ESPN college basketball analyst Chris Patola, our friend, kind enough to join us here on Sports Hub Triad. What say you, Chris? Uh, what's your level of concern?
5: well it's not necessarily a concern i mean it you know it is what it is I, I think um you know i think duke and carolina fans collectively should probably uh not make their final four reservations uh pro- probably even their second weekend reservations josh I, I i think we can uh we can say that um you know, look, I, I think it's a confluence of a lot of things. Uh, and I, I think you could lump both those, those teams together in terms of the issues presented both by the pandemic and by, uh, very new rosters. You, you know, you've got a Carolina team coming off its worst season, uh, in Roy Williams career. They bring in six new freshmen. Uh, and then Duke, who was only so, so last year, uh, they turn over, they lose their top three scorers. Uh, they bring in seven new players and a, and a grad transfer. So, you know, both teams are starting from scratch. You had a very truncated, chaotic off season, which uh, obviously plays into it. And then the other thing, Josh, like, you know, freshmen are starting to spread out. You know, they're not just going to Duke and Kentucky anymore. You know, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, these guys are going other places. Uh, and so if you're Duke and Kentucky, you better hit on the ones you're bringing in. And I, I think you're looking at a year, Duke specifically, where – you know they just didn't hit, and th- and then you're asking guys like Hurt, Matthew Hurt, and Wendell Moore, and some of these other guys who were w- way down on the scouting report last year uh, as role players to have to step into important roles. So I, the concern level should be high. Um, now I th- I think both, I think Duke still has a chance obviously to make the tournament, but as far as b- advancing beyond the, the first weekend, uh, they got a long way to go.
1: He's on Twitter at Chris underscore Spitola. Kind enough to join us here. You mentioned North Carolina. They're in action tonight at home in the Smith Center against Wake Forest. That's going to be a 7 o'clock tip inside the Smith Center. Another angle of last night's game that I thought was interesting, since you are someone who was on that bench with Coach K, I'm sure you know how dominant Coach K's been against his former assistants. He's had 15 over his time at Duke, except head coaching jobs. Of those 15, eight have gone head-to-head with Coach K. Out of those eight, after last night, two have come up with a victory. Mike Bray winning five of his first six when Notre Dame first joined the ACC. And now Jeff Capel, after losing his first two at Pitt against Coach, found a way to get in the win column last night. Coach K's overall record against assistants now, 30 wins and six losses. When you look at this question, which is the most popular question I get when I talk about college basketball in this state and around the country, uh, who might be the best fit to potentially replace Coach K when that time comes? Do you think that Capel currently has the strongest resume among those who at one time served on Coach K's staff?
5: Uh, you think you get that question a lot, uh, <laughs> you know, no, I don't, I don't think he does. Um, but that's not a slight to Jeff. I mean, I think Jeff's an outstanding coach uh, is Jeff hireable as the next coach at Duke yet. Um, you know, I think people would probably point to his first two seasons uh, at Pitt. I think they would probably point to the way that Oklahoma ended Um you know, so I, I don't know. I, you know, I think this thing. Let me let me put it to you in this context, Josh, because I've been dealing with this now for a long time. This question. The the next coach at Duke has changed about twelve times in the last fifteen years.
1: It's so true. You know,
5: it, it, when I first got to Duke as an assistant, it, it was Johnny Dawkins, and then he left, and then it was Steve Wojciechowski, and then he was gone, and then it was Chris Collins, and then he was gone, and then Jeff Capel took his turn, and then. You know, and then he's doing his thing. And then it was John, Sh- now it's John Shire. And then, you know, the guy that I have I have always uh, said I think they should hire is Tommy Amaker. Um, now, look, his body of work, we can debate over how productive it has been. I think what he's done at Harvard has been exceptional. But um, Tommy, the, the guy who replaces Coach K, Josh, has to be a few things, but, but let's, let me just nail down two. first of all, that person has to be so self-secure in who they are and in what their abilities are. They have to be in a stage in life that presents them that ability to be very secure in who they are. And Tommy Amaker fits that to a bill like Tommy Amaker will not be intimidated in walking into the office that coach K held for this amount of time. He'll be okay doing that. Um, The other thing is you need somebody who's able to navigate some of the things that are going to go on on Duke's campus after Coach K leaves. Because if you don't think that there are a lot of people uh, on the, the academic side, in the president's office, in athletics, who are waiting to pull back all of the trappings that have grown over Coach K's time as Duke's coach uh then you're a little, a little bit naive, you know, like that's going to happen. And I think you need a, a guy who's going to come in there and say, Hey, look, I played here. I, I was a coach here during a, a national, ch- a back-to-back national championship run. I have been gone for a long time. Now I am advanced enough in age and in experience that I know what this is supposed to look like when I take over. And it's not to say any of these other guys couldn't do that, but I think Tommy Amaker is probably most equipped and look, how much longer is Tommy going to coach? That's a good question, but he doesn't necessarily have to be the guy who's going to be here for the next 30 years either. You know, it, it may, he may be an interim kind of selection. I think there's more nuance to this conversation than people are willing to lend to it. Um, and that's again, I've, I've, I've been asked this and talked about it a lot over, over the last bunch of years. That's kind of where I've landed. Like I, I think Tommy, uh, without a surefire name out there, I think Tommy would be a very good fit.
1: I still think Coach K, this is the next question I get more than any, how long is Coach K going to continue to coach? Uh, I still think he has five more years. I feel that way because Michael Savarino, his grandson, is on the team. This year doesn't count against his eligibility, so I guess he could be around unless he becomes a Zion-level draft pick uh, the next four years on Duke's campus. And I don't know if Coach K is going to pass up the opportunity to coach his grandson at Duke. You know the relationships. You know the family better than I do. Do you think that's probably a good guess at this point, that Coach is going to try to finish things out with his grandson?
5: Yeah, I I wouldn't tie it to that necessarily. Um, you, You know, I think there's a couple things that have been very instructive, Josh. I think first and foremost... You know, Coach K coming out and saying that he didn't want to play anymore in a pandemic, I, I think was in part because of the pandemic. I think it also said a lot about where he is at this point. Like he's been doing this a long time and we are entering obviously we're we're currently in a new world, but the post pandemic, if and when we ever get to a post pandemic, is going to be very different for college athletics. And and so, you know, does Coach K want to be a part of a new world order after the pandemic? I think the retirement of Kevin White was also very instructive in all of this. Like, you, you may have your own reasons for why Kevin White retired. I, I, I've gotten to know Kevin White very well over the years. Um, I think a lot of what landed Kevin White in the place of, well, I need to stop doing this, so I don't want to do this anymore – there's probably a lot of the same considerations that Coach K is making. Now, look, if, if you told me, if you had a crystal ball and said, hey, by the way, Coach K is going to coach for the next 10 years, um, 10 may be a little high, but if you said, hey, he's going to be the coach for the next six or seven years, that wouldn't shock me. But if you said, if he had a press conference at the end of the season that said, hey, look, my time is done, I'm going to leave this to the next guy, uh, that wouldn't surprise me either, and and so that's why I don't think anything is really necessarily tied to his grandson. I, I think he would, whoever would take the job, I think he would trust in uh, Michael in, in the hands of that of that person. But um, I, I think it ends up becoming a very personal decision for Coach, and and a lot of it tied to do I want to move forward in whatever this new world order is here in college athletics. And oh by the way, and I am how they do this, how they do this year will have a lot to do with that too. You know, again, if he looks at this and says, man, not only is it a new world order post pandemic, but it may be a new world order in trying to do this one and done thing, you know, again, that may also affect his consideration as well.
1: NIL (laughs) plays a role in this as well. And there's a lot of other things that are going to be changing in this new world order you're describing post pandemic in college sports. Chris Spatola with us. He's going to be on the call for Kansas State, West Virginia this weekend. Uh, joining us from ESPN. I want to close things out with this. We've been reminiscing on today's show. 18 years ago today, uh, we had Rayshon Terry on. uh, His Reynolds team went up against LeBron James's St. Vincent team in the Greensboro Coliseum. 16,000 people watched this high school basketball game, the highest attended high, uh, high school basketball game in the state of North Carolina. Rayshon, also went head to head against Chris Paul around that time in the triad too you've been around lebron you've been around chris paul with the uh with your relationship with usa basketball i'll just uh i'll kind of like chris paul I'll just dish it off to you and you let uh, let me know if there's a good story that comes to mind regarding one of the best players to ever come out of this area cp3
5: oh man um he, he was you know it's so funny his his son, who we now have seen in, in all the State Farm commercials and, and all of that, his son was really young during the Olympics. And it was so cool. We, one of the days we, had got, we were going to the Great Wall of China, so this was back in 2008, and it was like a two-hour drive from Beijing. Um, and Chris Paul's son had, had become very close to uh, Coach K's grandkids. So my, my, my son and then um, so, some of the more so, some of the older uh, grandkids. And what was so cool, uh, Josh, is we go to the Great Wall of China, and you know, here he is, this like the son of, of Chris Paul, this this you know guy who's got all this money and he's as famous as any athlete on the planet and, and all of that. And this kid was so in love and just so blown away by this Great Wall of China. And, and I just remember Chris Paul's kid running up and down. I don't know if you've ever been there, but running <laughs> up and down the little alleyways at the Great Wall of China. And then all of a sudden, like out of the blue, here comes Chris Paul. Here comes LeBron. Here comes, I forget who else was. It might have been Dwight Howard. They come walking like down this wall. And it was like this image. And all of a sudden, Chris Paul's son goes sprinting over to his dad, he jumps up into his arms. I don't know. It's just when you ask that question, that was the first image that came to my mind—the innocence of, you know, that these guys they have families, they have children, and, and all of that. And, um, and and Chris Paul's kid has gotten so big now. And, and uh, I was seeing, I saw a commercial last night. It made me think about it. But um, yeah, it was a cool. It's been, it's so long ago now. It it, it feels uh, it feels like a lifetime ago. But um, but that was that was a cool moment.
1: Thirteen years ago. the the Olympics in Beijing. Chris Pithola, a part of that, a part of Coach K's staff at around that time as well. And right now on ESPN covering college basketball, don't think that I'm not going to go back to that summer in Beijing in the middle of of this summer and mine you for Dwight Howard stories. We'll get to that (laughs) maybe at a later point. I know they're there. Uh, Chris, in the meantime, though, have a great call this weekend. Thank you so much for spending the time on this inauguration deck.
5: Yeah, no doubt. My pleasure, Josh.